every Somali is a human just like we are. Every mother grieves for her child as much as uh, an Irish mother grieves for her child, although we tend to see so many pictures of, of starving Africans on television and forget that, that every Somali has the same emotions uh, as we do. And uh, for them, putting a hand out for food is the same as us begging on the street here. You don't, don't want to do it, but it's the only way that they can survive. Funnily enough, they don't seem to have any anger, and I just get so annoyed. Um, particularly then, when maybe just outside the gates, you have a lot of guys going around with guns, looking quite healthy, and they can get food because they have power. I feel particularly an anger for the situation of mothers and children. enormous difficulty now to face the starvation, to go and look at it. I just can't do it anymore because uh, it is so senseless to see people dying all around you just because they lack uh, 100 grams of food. It's absolutely nothing. I thought that the world would never allow it to happen again and would take their responsibilities. And now they have and uh, I can't understand it. I can't begin to understand it and I'm confused by it. There would not be Somalis running around with arms looting food if those arms hadn't been brought into that country from an outside force. They were brought in during that decade. We can't do anything about it now except respond to the innocent civilians who are caught. As always in every famine, it is the innocent civilians who are those who suffer most. Those are largely the women and children. They're the people who are fleeing across that border in horrific conditions. And we have awful cases of women fleeing across into the Kenyan border who are being attacked, who are being raped over a question of getting access to two pounds of food. Sadness, that's our love. As individuals, it doesn't register much at all. There's um, nomadic people or farmers, whatever, and things have gone wrong on because of the civil war, that's about it. Death, I suppose. Children dying, mothers. Dreadful, a dreadful sight. Starving, uh, terrible sights on the television. Just unbelievable sights on the television. Um, what amazes me is the governments of the world, why they haven't got together before now, like they always seem to leave everything till it's too late, until all these pictures come on the television, like it takes something like that for to wake them up, they never um, you know they, they never sort, seem to sort of get together like, I don't know what it is, it, it takes a war or something to get them together, before they, they uh, decide about what to do you know, there's mountains of food in the EC and they're just hoarding it and hoarding it and hoarding it, whether they're waiting on prices to go up or down or whatever. I don't know why they don't do it, but they should all get together very soon and do something about it. They're no different to ourselves, apart from their colour, their skin, that's all. Uh, no different at all. Uh, famine, hunger, children dying. I think it's starvation that's going on over there. All the babies and the suffering. It sort of makes you want to try and get over there and do something, but you can't. You know what I mean? Think of all the food we have at home. Just look at all the other kids. Skin and bone just lying on the roads. 
Imagine stepping over your own children. Do you know what I mean? It's horrible. Somalia, a Muslim country of six million people on the Horn of Africa, is now experiencing the worst humanitarian disaster in the world. Between war and famine, thousands have died. About one and a half million people are on the verge of death and the future generation, a quarter of all children under five, are already dead. It's a picture of horrors and complexities. A once proud nation clinging to life, now dependent on the outside world for food. The once beautiful facades of Mogadishu, Somalia's capital, lie ruined, now home to hungry refugees. The civil war, which grew from the political chaos after the fall of dictator Siad Barre last year, has set clan against clan. Siad Barre, once the political tool of both the Soviet Union and the US, in turn ignited the divisions among the five main clans. And now, Somalia is a country swimming in guns without food. If you have a gun, you eat. But as the UN attempts to grapple with the security problems, the priority is to flood the country with food, to give hope back to the most vulnerable in Somalia. Somalia essentially is a very interesting phenomenon within Africa in that it has a very homogeneous population. It essentially has one religion and it has the people who share a common language. I think it's probably the only African country that has those kind of phenomenon. To understand what is happening in Somalia in 1992, I think we have to go back to the period from about 1960. In 1960, the Italian government handled a very smooth transition to independence and democracy. From 1960 to 1969, democracy worked reasonably well in Somalia. I said the country is a very homogeneous one, and it's probably easy for Irish people to understand because traditionally it has been divided up by clans, which are largely region and family based. There are between five and six major divisions, clan divisions within Somalia. And in the early period of democracy and independence, those clans worked out a reasonable relationship among each other for the transfer of power. 1969 was a time of great turbulence throughout Africa. It appeared that the initial period of uh, new independence was not bringing about rapid enough economic growth. The former colonies had moved on to solve their own problems and difficulties. There was a new economic order emerging in the world and Somalis began to become alarmed at uh, the consequences for them. This brought about a growth of the military within Somalia itself and began a period with the dictatorship of uh, Saeed Barre, which lasted from 1969 until 1991. Minister, we're on our way to Mogadishu. Can I ask you what you expect to see and why you're making this visit? Well, if I may ask, answer the um, second question first. The reason I'm making the visit is that, I, as you know, I met with the Irish aid organisations some days ago in Dublin and uh, arising out of my discussions with them, they suggested that I visit uh, Somalia at first hand and see what's happening. Uh, and that's the reason I'm in this plane on the way from Nairobi to These children now are, 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 I mean, in the context of the horror story, 
I mean, they oh, appear gotcha. to be coming around. Yeah, yeah. that's right. There's, these are all yeah. the blue bands. Oh, yes. So, they're, they're, uh, so you have just identified the bands. The red band is danger. The red band is danger. And it's under 70% of what they should be for their, yes. for their height. And the blue band is... The blue band is over, over 70, 70%. but still malnourished to some yes. degree. And the, that's the, the banding system is just red or blue. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But to us, they would look, and um, the blue, like they would look very, very skinny and skeletal yeah. almost, wouldn't they? But obviously in the context here, that's... Oh yeah, I mean, any, any of these are, are just little bags of bones. We estimate that uh, in central and southern Somalia there's between 750,000 and a million children, with children under the age of 9 or 10, who are, who are malnourished at present. And at least half of those are severely malnourished, which is almost unheard of rates. The new towns and villages that we've got into in the past few weeks, we're finding that up to 90, 95% of the children are malnourished, which is previously unheard of, uh, unheard of levels. And they need specific feed food. Mm -hmm. They can't take the maize or the sorghum or the beans or the wheat or the rice. They need specific foodstuffs, they need clean and safe water and they all need uh, basic medicines. So we're, we're attempting to get into as many of these towns and villages as soon as possible, set up these specific food programs, work uh, with the locals in, the, in the, uh, the health sector and then we hope to act as something of a motivator for the, uh, the relief agencies to come in. That's exactly what happened in Baidoa where we were able to get in there first, set up feeding centres and then Concern have come in and taken those over from us whilst we're still able to provide them with the food and they do a magnificent job. In most cases the, uh, the smaller relief agencies are far better equipped to actually run the centres but they don't have the resources and so working in combination with them that we believe we can be very effective if we can uh, motivate enough of the relief agencies to get out of Mogadishu into the other regions within the next six or eight weeks. This little girl, Margaret, is obviously very malnourished. Yeah, I mean, just going down through a few mm. of them now and, admi and admitting them, she, is, she looks very thin, actually. Her little arms are like just yeah. little twigs, aren't they? Yeah, and she's quite anemic as well. Stack, stack, stack. Stack, 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 stack. Okay, let's have Jokes. a look too. Yeah, Sarah. Sarah, her name. Maga'a is her name. Maga'a is her name. What's her name? Sarah. Yeah, and she might have had measles or she probably... Shubun, Shubun. Shubun, yeah, she's very diarrhea. Yeah, diarrhea with blood. Yeah, an awful lot of them have dysentery, you know. And they haven't dysentery, they've worms. It's one or the other. All ten years. Ten years? Yeah. And how long would she have been like that? Well, where where have they come from? Yeah. Medina, Medina village, Medina village. And before that, were they from Badur or anywhere? Ah. She came from Baidaba. So, like a lot of the ones that are in Medina have come from And her mother's just tying up her little dress now because she was showing you how thin she was. Thin yeah, she was. just to get an idea, general picture. But usually you can tell from the face. Can you? But um, some of the ones that might look fairly big would have distended abdomens. And again, that's the problem of worms, really. We just go down through the rest sure. of them and have a look. A few weeks ago when I came, it was very distressing because um, the children were all in a very bad state and um, we had a colossal number of deaths each day and mothers dying, children dying, and with nobody to bury them, their relatives all gone, a lot of orphans. 
And I suppose now I can see a little bit of hope. I see a lot of the children at the centre improving from the food they're getting. And they're even getting cheeky, you know. And um, I see hope there really for them. At least there's going to be a few kids healthy to survive and hopefully get through the next year, which is going to be a hard time for Somalia. You're in Bay Project Camp. It's a displaced camp just on the outskirts of Baidoa town and it's where people have come to settle temporarily. It's only a temporary camp. There are 2,000 families, there are 10,000 people approximately in this camp. It used to be a big agricultural centre and um, it had lovely bungalows as you can see, what it, what it is reduced to now. All destroyed. Um, all completely destroyed, completely wiped out. All that machinery, all those JCBs and everything and they're being used as shelter for the houses. They're building the little homes around about them. The insulation from the roofs has been used as padding for the house as you can see there it's very miserable no sanitation here, no medical care normally when you're in camp situations other places I've been they would use the boxes here they've resorted to the local wooden sticks but they're the most miserable looking things that you could ever see I think Somalia is the victim of a combination of two things. Undoubtedly, one can place the finger fairly and squarely on those serious divisions inside Somalia itself. Uh, part of this tragedy is a tragedy brought about by the Somali clans, by the Somali military leaders, and in part it has been brought about by Western involvement, by the oversupply of arms and money to the dictatorship uh, during that 10-year period, and by the inability of uh, the countries, neighbouring countries in Africa to recognise early enough the symptoms. Good morning, uh, Minister Anders. You're in Mogadishu at the moment? Uh, I'm in Mogadishu North, in fact. Quite frankly, I've never seen so many guns in the hands of so many young people in my life, and uh, I hope it's the last time I'll see them, see, see the situation. Uh, this, uh, I'm on my way now to, to meet the leader of one of the warring factions, the interim president, Mr Ali Mahadi, uh, and tomorrow I fly up country to meet the uh, other uh, leader, uh, General Adid of the uh, United Somali Conference. So, uh, as I say, I'll be speaking to both of them. What are you trying uh, to achieve? Up, well, uh, as far as my achievement, I think, is, is being here and supporting the Irish aid organisations. That's the, uh, the first achievement. Uh, I think that I've uh, given them a, a quite a considerable lift, and I think there's unanimity in that regard. Uh, I would hope to achieve when I return uh, a report to my colleagues within the European community who would be just as concerned uh, as I am about the situation out here. It's quite horrible and horrendous. It's really a land that God has forgotten. Chris Cristiano. Cristiano, and you're working with? The International Committee of the Red Cross. Uh, we have a flying surgical team and uh, I'm the surgeon with that, that team. Can you tell me about the work you're doing here? What are the problems that you face? Well, we work in Baidon. We also work in other areas of Somalia. Uh, ICRC has relief operations agency and medical operations all over the country. And it's just about every area of the country that needs help at this point. Uh, infrastructure is, is almost non-existent. A great deal has been destroyed, looted. Uh, ministries, of course, have not functioned. And therefore, <clears throat> no one in, in the hospitals, for instance, has received a salary in the last two years. Keeping the health services going all across Somalia is, is quite a challenge. 
and we try to work with our Somali colleagues, those that still remain in the country, to try to develop those whatever uh, infrastructure still exists. So what, what is your daily routine like here? Uh, you operate, see patients, uh, try to stay out of the way of stray bullets. That's the, those are the most pressing things, obviously. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so is the security situation quite difficult here? It is all over the country, mm -hmm. uh, in that people are hungry, there are limited resources. Uh, food has come to represent money for people in this country. And therefore, not everyone who is looting is hungry, but food is quite simply the only commodity that has any value left in the country. One of the women was breastfeeding her children outside of the centre. They were waiting for the second feed to take place. And um, I'm not really quite sure where the bullet came from, but this child was shot while breastfeeding. Uh, it's just a two-year-old child, already malnourished, uh, dehydrated as well, and I think just getting over measles, so it's, it's not a very healthy child to begin with. Um, so we took the child to the hospital, and uh, luckily enough, it was seen to very quickly there, and the Somali surgeons just got acted on it straight away. Once we had got some blood from somebody, you know, just brain blood from one of the nurses, and um, they've operated. The child is critical, really, at the moment. I'm not sure what its chances are of living. Hi, my name is Roisin Boyd, I'm from Irish Radio and, and Martin was just telling us last night about the little girl that she brought in yeah. and this is the father, she brought the father in, this is the father here. Yeah, the father oh, yeah. Yeah. We had three children yesterday that were shot, all under two years of age. And what can you do for them here? Um, we did laparotomies, we opened them up and repaired their intestines um, and just not having all the appropriate equipment to take care of pediatrics makes it difficult and they just became too infected and they were open for too long in order for them to survive in this hardship condition. You're working against the odds though. Yeah, very much so. At one hand you see all the infection but occasionally you see the other spectrum that the Somali people are very, very strong and they've been through a lot and they're still surviving and getting through things that our own people would not survive. The last few days an agreement has been reached to allow the deployment of 500 UN troops to safeguard supplies that might reach the country. So what are the prospects now? Roisin Boyd has been with uh, Minister Anders on his trip and she joins me now. Roisin, uh, you watched a child die, did you not? Yeah, I went to the hospital this morning with Margaret O'Mahony, who is a concerned volunteer. She's from Cork and she's been working at the feeding centre in the Africa, uh, Pan-Africa centre, which is where they feed the mothers and children. And there was a mother waiting outside to come in, breastfeeding her little boy, Mohammed Adan. And um, when she was breastfeeding him, a stray bullet lodged in the child. Margaret O'Mahony rushed the child to the hospital and they operated on the child there. They didn't have any anaesthetic, they didn't have any painkillers. One of the hospital workers had to actually donate blood because they, they're just so short of supplies. And Margaret stayed there all, all yesterday, hoping that the child would survive. We went back today with the father, and unhappily the child had died in the night. They'd lost three children in the hospital, and all of them had been injured by bullets. This house, uh, the man was belonging to this house. Eight children died here. Eight children? Eight children, yeah. Died here. Oh, here. they're buried? Now uh, they have only one, one child only. I'm very sorry. This, this house. Or some of hunger, you know. Mm -hmm.
The long-term development of Somalia is a long-term away. You know, you've seen Mogadishu, the entire infrastructure is totally destroyed there. That there's no regional government, there's no uh, national government, there's very little local administration, and the Somali sub-clan system will mean that any type of government that's set up will have to be very decentralised. Now, we can play a major role in that by reducing the tensions, by letting people return to their home and to, to establish their own communities again. So they're, they're very proud people. They don't want to have to look, rely upon us for the rest of their lives. I mean, every Somali is a human, just like we are. Every mother grieves for her child as much as uh, an Irish mother grieves for her child, although we tend to see so many pictures of, of starving Africans on television and forget that, that every Somali has the same emotions uh, as we do. And uh, for them, putting a hand out for food is the same as us begging on the street here. You don't, don't want to do it, but it's the only way that they can survive. So the sooner we can get through that immediate survival needs and work to develop the country working with Somalis, then, uh, then the better. Every child has a brain, is thinking, is wondering, is, uh, is hoping for a better life, as, uh, as are the, uh, all of the adults. You know, the, perhaps the difference between the Somalis and many of the Western communities is this survival instinct. They are so much stronger. Their will to survive is much stronger than most of the Western communities. Handsome boy. <laughs> How are you? Mm, very bad. Porsche. Porsche Walker. Mm. Totally swollen up. And he's just handsome and he used to be tight. Show me your belly. Oh, it's, oh, it's slack. It's gone down completely. Nah. Oh, you're great. He's great. He's an absolute darling, aren't you? <laughs> it's, been, it's amazing, the courage of children, isn't it? Oh, like, they're, he, like, he's coming on his own all the time. Oh, and really? I remember he, he walks here on his own. Just comes on his own. And when he was very, very bad with the course, he used to come after me and he'd be showing me his leg and his stomach to make sure I know about him, you know. And I fed that him. age, it's incredible. Oh, isn't he's it? great. He's a little man, yeah. yeah. And he'd be chatting away. I didn't know what ah, he was saying, but really? he was chatting away ah. to me, yeah. He's fantastic. Ah. Very fond of him. He's one of my favourites. <laughs> His name is Abdullah. Abdullah. How yeah. old are you, Abdullah? I'm a Sajirta. I'm a Sajirta. Dad, I'm a Sajirta. Three years old. Three years old? Yeah. Margaret was saying that he, he's a, a great little boy, that he comes here every day yeah. on his own. Can you yeah. ask him that? Does he, he comes here on his own? Yeah. And why? Here he is. He said that he come here every day by himself and uh, his mother and his, and his father are staying at home and he said that he appreciated how you fit, how you your your what can I say I just fit. I think it's very important to show the Somalis and to make the Somalis feel that the international commercial community is ready to take this problem seriously and that uh, 
a political mission of this level can take place uh, in a country that has got no diplomatic representation whatsoever. Do they feel, in a sense, that they've been forgotten? They feel completely forgotten and isolated. Uh, and their situation is a forgotten one and an isolated one, and we have to be aware of that ourselves. And do you feel that? I mean, is it something that you're aware of? Is it very frustrating? Well, it's terribly frustrating. We've been shouting for, for one year, more than one year, that the situation is going to become a catastrophe. And uh, we just did not get the attention, and Somalia did not get the attention. And it's uh, it's complete tragedy what has happened, and it shouldn't have been allowed to happen. Well, I think it's, it's the usual reason. Somalia is seen as another African country with another famine and another starvation, and why should the world continue to support? Of course, the problems of Somalia are related to the Cold War, and it is the breakdown of uh, the whole system in the Cold War that has allowed this to happen in Somalia. Otherwise, it would never have happened. Most of the security problems there that aren't clan-related are caused by simply a lack of food or a lack of medicines or a lack of clean and safe water. So if we can get an, uh, enough of those, uh, those commodities, those inputs in, quickly, then uh, that will assist in reducing the tension and also allow a, a faster political resolution to the problems in the country because there's no doubt that the major factional leaders have tied political reconciliation and resolution to increased humanitarian assistance. Ourselves and the Red Cross, we have brought 90, 80 or 90,000 tonnes of food this year. It is a huge quantity of food uh, and it has been a fantastic input. Uh, but more needs to be done and the more specialised care like feeding centres to prevent uh, numbers continuing to die that is happening now. What sort of amounts of food are really needed? I would say the country needs about 50, 55,000 tonnes of food every month. And how much is going in at the moment? Maybe half of that. We bring, we bring 20,000 tonnes, so a little bit less than yeah. half. And uh, the United Nations is bringing, for the moment, they brought 24,000 tonnes in total. So maybe we get to half of what's needed. Right. And is it a matter that you can't get hold of that amount of food, those quantities of food, or is it more complex than that? No, it's more complex than that. Of course, an operation of this size, it's double the operation we had in Ethiopia, which was already double our next biggest operation. Um, to get that kind of support, the international community and the politicians and the world has to take the problem of Somalia seriously, and that will give the confidence to the organisations to do something more about it. What about the problems of distribution? Distribution is, is the biggest problem in Somalia because of the security element and because of the lack of food. Food is looted. For the moment, food is the same as money. And uh, What we have done in order to counterbalance that has been to set up about 500 kitchens throughout the country where the kitchens are open to anybody and we provide cooked food twice a day for about half a million people. So at least you know it's going to the people. Exactly, we can watch it. Th this is the kitchen? Yes, this is our kitchen. In the morning we cook. Uh, six pots of food, uh, three is Yonamakis and three is CSM. At the same time we supply DSM milk and recovery food, Chama biscuit and BB5. And the, the, this woman this here the, now? The cookers, the, the this cookers. is the cooks. The cookers. Hello. They are the cookers. They are cookers. And I'm the supervisor of the cooking food, you know. That. And what they're doing here is they have a big now pot. They, they're missing it. They're mixing CSM. it with an enormous whisker. Yes, yes. Whisking. Yeah. yeah. This is the CSM. 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 And that's yeah. for, is that for babies? For babies. Uh, for, for small babies. For small, small babies. babies. Yeah. 
CSM and Puskut, they receive... A lot of the people who are based in Mogadishu would have, um, we call them displaced people, mm. they would have come from other areas of Somalia, like Badoa, even Afgoi, Wanluane, where there's feeding mm. centres now. And um, they would have walked for days to get here, like even the distance from one of the areas is 10 days walk. That is if you're healthy. Mm. Um, and they survive really on so little on their way. I mean, I've heard st stories that they've just cooked goat skins and grated bones and just to cook them to make them somewhat edible. And they arrive in, an, in a terrible state. Now that we're a few weeks into the programme, there's not as many arriving, and the feeding centres have opened up out further, so there's less. So they don't have to people. come so far. Mm. That's right, yeah. But even the conditions they're living in in Mogadishu, displaced people have nothing. They'll have lost their camels, they'll have lost the area they were planting in. So they have literally nothing to live on apart from what they get from the centres. So she's, got, she's just probably developing early quashiocre now here, you see? She's legs. She might. She doesn't really look anemic. Oh, she does actually. See, one eye she's got an infection, but the other's quite pale. And so she's she, quite depressed, doesn't she? Like, yeah, just, so just quiet, lethargic. Just sitting there. She could be. It could be like that. She has very severe anemia, and she, these are very white. Her eyes are very white. But she probably also developing quartz because you can see the skin changes. Her little legs. They're so so thin. Do they do they break their legs? Like I was just look when I was yeah, looking at them. Yeah, the skin does break eventually with the quartz. You know. Oh. The, but the, do their bones break? No, 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 they don't. Just looks so, so just for us to see. Well, you'll that. have rickets. Mm. You'll have rickets yes. because they'll be uh, deficient in calcium and vitamin D. You know, mm. if they're not getting any milk or that, so um, they'll have that. And you'll see some of them with very bandy legs or not even able to stand. But I haven't seen them breaking actually. Mm. And is that which is her mother now? I wonder. Hoyo, hoyo. I think in the past uh, the government of Somali had a well-developed system where the elders were consulted. The elders would hold a very important position within the communities and within their regions. That system began to break down in about 1989 when uh, groups of Somalis were urging for greater inner democracy. As the uh, dictator was unwilling to share power with them and indeed began to play the clans off against each other, groups began turning to Ethiopia. The Somalis in the Ogaden began to organise and to get arms from the government. That process accelerated when the Ethiopian situation collapsed and large amounts of arms were passed over from Ethiopia and from the fleeing troops, the Mengitsu troops in Ethiopia, into Somalia itself. So you had a situation where the clans began to fight against each other for power and for greater access to resources. The south, and particularly Mogadishu, became overdeveloped and the northeast was largely abandoned. Do you have any responsibility for it? No. 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 We feel the responsibility of it. You but do. we have no the power. He, he's a member of the USC. Yeah, no, I accept that. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I'm just saying that there are people dying. Yes. While, while there's a civil war going on. Yes. And this is tragic. Is there any reason why the civil war shouldn't stop and people should talk peace? This is a question of uh, yeah. by the time they get, you know, by the yeah. time they get food, these people could at least set and settle down their yeah. main problems. Yeah. This is really a matter of hunger. The whole conflict is a matter of hunger. You're getting your priorities wrong. You'll have to forgive okay, me. Okay, okay, okay. Turn back. I but mean, stop, stop the war. Yes. And then the hunger will stop. I mean, that makes logic. Okay. Okay. I don't. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I agree. So we will, that we'll see you later on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we won't. We won't have a roundabout. Okay.
Jeff, can I just ask, this is a Red Cross ship coming in here, right, uh, yeah. unloading, and it's very different from what we just saw over on the other side, the UN side, where they had food stores and everything. And is it is it partly to do with the logistics, the way that you load it straight onto trucks, that you don't seem to store it here at the port? No, we don't store food in the port because the port is an area of insecurity. There's a lot of gunmen around. So we load from the ship onto trucks, and then we take the trucks directly into our warehouses outside the port, where we think it, we have better control over the food. So why is there such a difference? I mean, is it just approach or...? I think the, the system that the UN are using is to offload into port warehouses and from port warehouses to distribution points. But it obviously isn't as effective. It just seems to be more effective. I mean, we, have, we use this system because we feel it to be the best way for us to manage the food ourselves. Uh, as we are responsible to manage all the food by ourselves, we do have to have the full responsibility. I think the UN are working in close cooperation, like us, with the relief committees, but uh, they follow a different system. And where will this food go now? The food in the ship is going, it will go to many regions, it's 7,500 tonnes. So it's enough for how many people? It's enough for half a million people for one month. And how often would a ship like this come in? We're loading another ship now, Mombasa, it will be here in 10 days. Right, so what, every 10 days? Every 10, if 15 days, yeah, if we get the donor support, we'll do it. At the moment, I didn't have a wife. Yeah. I lost my wife during the war. How, how did you lose her? Yeah, shells, you know, bombardments of Serbia troops. So she was killed here in yeah. Doha? Yeah, she and a kid. And your kid? Yeah. And yeah. so that was your family? Yes, yeah. Mm. So I'm here only with my mother at the moment. Mm. And what was your life like before? I was working with the aid organizations before. Right. Yeah, when administrator. Mm-hmm. Administrator. You were administrator before yeah. the civil war? Yes, mm. working. And now you're working with concern? I'm concerned as a logistic now. Mm. You must feel very, very depressed about what's happening in your country. Exactly, that's right. Mm. And I hope the condition will go much better. What do you see as the solution? As a solution, I see that uh, we, if this civil war and uh, at the moment, when Seattle troops has gone, I hope that everything will get better. Physically, that a child, of course, only has one chance to develop uh, mentally and uh, and their bodies. And if uh, they're not provided with the right nutrition and basic medical support during those crucial growing periods, then they'll be stunted, you know, both me- mentally and physically. And unfortunately, there's little we can do at the moment to address that situation for a lot of children. Psychologically, of course, a lot of them will be traumatised, as will a lot of the youth who know nothing but, but the law of the gun at the moment. So after we've got through this emergency phase and we get through the stage of rehabilitating agricultural and livestock sectors, then the educational system becomes important, very, very important, to re-establish basic education and uh, to, to retrain some of the teachers and train them with different skills as well so that they can handle working with children that have, that have, uh, have lived through the horrors of the past few years in Somalia. Because in a sense they've lost their childhood, haven't they? They've seen things that most adults in the West would never have seen. That's true, but uh, African children in most cases grow up a lot, a lot quicker than uh, children in the Western world, and there's a lot more. Uh, they have to work a lot more, and uh, you know, a, a seven or eight-year-old child in Somalia has, uh, has, has seen and done and worked a lot more than a 15, 16-year-old child. So in some cases they're able to handle that, but uh, you know, the, the circumstances of Somalia are so far out of the ordinary now that 
that uh, it will take a long time for the, the, the scars to heal. Tragedy always in a situation like uh, Somalia and indeed other crisis situations in Africa, that it is easier to raise money and public awareness and interest for emergency aid when people are dying. But it seems extraordinarily difficult to sell the message of, if you like, slow, hard slog, day-by-day work that is done by hundreds and thousands of Africans all over the continent that will make a much cheaper contribution much more cost-effective and make better long-term provision for avoiding these emergency situations. When you're in the midst of an emergency, people have to be fed, lives have to be saved immediately, and that's the task at hand. But I think the problem is, and as we've seen as a result of the crisis in Africa and Ethiopia in the 1984-85, what needs to happen very quickly after that, and almost in tandem with that, is to begin the long-term development programmes that will help this stop this happening again and again. What do you think would be the most lasting impression? of Somalia? Well, the dead and the dying, frankly. Uh, the number of young children one saw uh, in extremis, effectively. Um, that would be my lasting impression of it. Uh, I would like to return in 10 years time, hopefully, and see the whole infrastructure built up again and uh, peace, and the Somali people at peace. mother here is a typical example. She's great. She's, um, which means good mother. But these are a set of twins and these were 68% like which is very thin when they were admitted. And she's lost her husband and she's on her own. She is totally on her own. And they have just, I mean, they're getting so fat. They really are getting really well. I mean, they're so healthy looking, you know. Oh, it's empty now. It's waiting to be filmed, isn't it? lovely so but she's great she makes them eat everything here and that's why they